Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I'm just going to jump straight into this week's case. I'll talk about it more. Well, I'll talk about the case the whole episode, obviously, but I'll do my little waffling on. Not really waffle. We're all case here and no waffle. But uh, I'll talk a little bit about my thoughts, not at the beginning this time, because I don't want to give anything away, but at the end of this episode. Let's get into it. Susan Walters was 33 years old in 1988, living in Portland, Oregon, where she worked as an ER nurse, emergency room nurse, for those who didn't get the abbreviation, which I'm sure you all did. Anyways, Susan was single, but you know, she wouldn't mind finding love. Her work had always come first, but now she was ready to maybe meet a man to marry. Susan's mother and father, they had divorced when she was very young, I think about two years old. And she says they never taught her how to have a successful marriage, but Susan was willing to give it a try. So some some sources that I saw say, Some sources that I saw say her mother and friend put an ad out on a dating section of the newspaper on her behalf, and some sources say she did. But it read, single white female, 33, overweight but not over life. If you're interested in a bright, funny woman who wants to explore the Northwest, give me a call. I also found in another source a different variation of this ad, but basically saying the same thing. A man by the name of Mike Kuhnhausen saw this ad and he was interested, so he contacts Susan. And at the end of that same year, they ended up getting married. When Mike and Susan were dating, he was nice to her family and to Susan. He was polite and quiet. He loved to laugh and Susan said she felt like she got a good deal on a used car. After they got married, they had a good few years of a solid loving relationship, but slowly Mike started to seem different. This being Mike's second marriage, Susan just thought he was putting up mental walls to protect himself from being hurt again. He was spending a lot of time alone, not really communicating with Susan or friends or family or anyone for that matter. The man she married who loved to laugh He seemed to be fading into a really negative and and angry person who had a grim outlook on life. And in one source said his, his motto of life was life is a shit sandwich and every day you take a bite of it and until you die. So that was his outlook just to give you a little look into his negativity. This was not good for Susan as she loved life. She loved living. She loved comedy. She loved to laugh. She had a tough job, but she was good at it. And she loved helping people. Susan, she deserved so much better than someone who says life's a shit sandwich. But as I said, Susan loves to help people. She suggests, so she suggests perhaps therapy could help but he refuses. Mike, having had been in the Vietnam War, was encouraged to join the other war veterans to talk about what he saw or did during the war. 
but he didn't want to talk about it. He he only did one time to Susan. He said he was put on long-range patrols and that they were instructed to go into a village and kill a VC. I'm not sure what VC means. Um, Mike said that during this mission, there were children involved, and that's all we know. He wouldn't say anything more than that. So I can imagine maybe he's tortured by his war memories, he's haunted by them, and maybe he has many demons that won't go away. They seem to be getting stronger because he's not talking about it. But in one source, it said that he was not in this long range patrol. He was actually a switchboard operator. So I cannot confirm or deny those. I don't have the military records, but that's just what the sources I saw said. Mike refused to go to a vet center and instead isolated himself in his basement with his sports collection he was obsessed with. Lots of baseball cards, a jersey that was in a frame, stuff like that. And he was convinced his collection was worth thousands and thousands of dollars, that it was appreciating in value and it was worth a lot. It was his prized possession. He he seemed growingly concerned about someone taking his collection away and about money. Mike did have a job as head of maintenance for an X-rated adult store, stores, I think it was a chain, in Portland. And it paid a decent wage and it's it's gave him benefits. Uh, he oversaw the, you know, the whole like janitorial staff. He hired all the cleaners and stuff like that. It was about seven years into the marriage, Susan realized that Mike's anxiety and anger was getting worse and he was still refusing help from anyone. He just wanted to work at his job and work on his sports collection. He said he put all his war memories into a room in his mind and locked the door. Perhaps Mike was suffering from PTSD, but he was refusing to to acknowledge it. And by doing this, it's getting worse. To Mike, the world was doing him wrong. Mike had begun hiding money from Susan, getting angry when she would spend money on small things like going to the movies, even though Susan made more money than him. Susan had paid off their home mostly by herself. She was financially secure. She had a savings account. Her car was paid off. You know, she would get a good pension from work when she retired. But so she couldn't figure out where all of Mike's financial worries were coming from. But she thought maybe perhaps it was from his first, his divorce with his first wife. Now, let's talk about Mike's co-worker, Ed Haffey. Ed and Mike had begun working together uh, at the X-rated stores, and I believe Ed was uh, hired as a cleaner. But before Ed got a job there, he had been in prison for 10 years. February 28th, 1991, Ed arranged the murder of his ex-girlfriend, and her decomposed body was discovered along the Umpqua River. He pled guilty to conspiracy to commit murder on May 14th, 1994, and he was released in 2003. Ed always needed more money, as he had a very expensive crack cocaine addiction. And there was a long list of people he owed money to. 
Mike and Ed became friends. They both had a very negative outlook on life and and they seemed to have that as a common bond. As for Susan and Mike's relationship, it was now 17 years into their marriage and Susan couldn't take it anymore. Mike was so angry all the time. She had no peace in her own home and she had a very stressful job. So I could imagine coming home to a peaceful house was something she needed to really decompress. And Susan, when she would get home, she was just constantly walking around on eggshells because he was just so easily set off. Susan just wanted to avoid the negativity, avoid the anger, and just avoid him. She decided it was better to be alone than with Mike. So after seven years, she was like, oh, this is really hard. Like, he's really anxious. He's really angry. He's not receiving helps. Help. So 10 years later, so now it's 17 years into the marriage, Susan really couldn't take it anymore. It was exhausting. He was so negative. He was angry all the time. She had no peace in her home. And Susan kicked him out. She decided it was better to be alone than to be with Mike And Mike, he did leave. I'm not sure how much of a fight he gave or I don't know. I didn't hear details on that, but he did leave. I think he moved in with his mother. And after 10 months, he seemed to be even more angry and negative, like more than ever. He wasn't apologizing to Susan. He wasn't seeking help. He wasn't taking any steps to better himself because to him, he wasn't the problem. The problem was everyone but him. The problem was the world not him. One day, Susan checked their joint bank account and noticed a lot of money missing and discovered Mike had been pulling money out of it for a while without her knowing. This concerned Susan and being the smart woman she is, she switched the beneficiary of her life insurance to her brother. So I'm not sure if he was acting weird around her, if she was getting vibes, you know, weird vibes, but she was like, I'm going to switch my life insurance over to my family. So, Mike, in the meantime, he had lost his job and he was now unemployed. Susan makes a decision that Mike has been fearing for a long time. And she decides to file for divorce. When Susan breaks the news to Mike, he tells her to wait because, quote, he needs to get his head together, unquote. Susan just thought he needed to mentally prepare himself for another divorce, but... What he had to get together was much more sinister. Mike came up with a plan. Currently, he was unemployed, not making any money, no home, and now he thinks Susan is going to take what little he has in the divorce, including his prized possession, his sports collection. Because he believes that this is worth a lot of money, when in reality, it turns out it wasn't. Mike starts thinking he would be able to get the house, Susan's money, her pension, and keep his sports collection if she were to die. And from that thought, the wheels were in motion. It would have had to look like an accident. I'm not sure, but he comes up with a plan. Mike starts talking to his friend he used to work with, Ed Haffey. But Ed, Ed had also been fired. So now he was also struggling for money. Ed has been through the process of organizing a murder. Ed owed lots of people money. Ed needed more money. Ed needed a lot of money to support his crack addiction. And he was currently unemployed and very desperate. Ed and Mike, they come up with a plan. Mike was like, hey, Ed, would you kill my wife for $50,000? And to Ed, 
That was enough to clear his debts and support his drug habit for a little while anyways. Ed said he would do it and Mike gave him $25,000 up front and he would get the other $25,000 when it was done. They also iron out the plan so Mike isn't connected to it. They think they're smooth criminals coming up with a smooth plan. So September 6, 2006, Susan is at work and receives a call from Mike at about 3 p.m. Mike tells Susan he's he's got to get away. He was stressed and that he's going to go stay at the beach. Susan tells him to relax, get some rest, gives some good advice. Police believe Mike drove Ed to Susan's house that day, gave him the alarm codes, code, I don't think there was two, gave him the alarm code, which Susan had never changed. The code for the alarm system was 1210, the date of their anniversary. Susan left work and went to a hair salon to get her hair done and just relax, decompress. New woman, new hair. She was waiting in the waiting room. There was a Oprah magazine there that she was reading. And in the magazine, she read a poem which stated, quote, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear, unquote. When Susan arrived home that evening, she saw a note from Mike that he had left in the entry of her home. And it read, Sue, I haven't been sleeping. Had to get away. Went to the beach. See you on Friday or Saturday. Love me. The time was 6.37 p.m. It was getting dark outside. So her house was, it was pretty dark in her house. When Susan entered her home, she turned her alarm off by punching in the code. She placed the note and her stuff on the table by the door. She then went and got her mail, kicked off her shoes, and headed into her bedroom to change out of her work clothes. As she was entering her bedroom, she felt something was weird. Usually her bedroom door is wide open, but tonight it was only open a little bit and that's not how she left it. So she paused for a moment as she assessed the situation and her intuition kicked in that something strange was happening. So she opened the door to her bedroom and was immediately attacked with a claw hammer and was hit several times in the face and head by a five foot nine wild eyed man wearing yellow kitchen gloves. Susan, who's only five foot four, pushed him away and started yelling, who are you? What do you want? And get out of here. But he kept hitting Susan with the claw hammer. Susan knew this couldn't be a robber because he wasn't asking for money or where the safe was. He was wearing yellow kitchen gloves and he, he only seemed to be after her life. The man attacking her was Ed Haffey, and he underestimated Susan's self-defense training she used regularly as an ER nurse. As much as Susan loved her job and she loved helping people, it was a common occurrence to deal with aggressive patients. Susan was now enraged with the man sent to kill her. She fights for her life in a grisly battle of hand-to-hand combat against a man with large amounts of crack cocaine in his system and nothing to lose. What Susan does next is incredible. Instead of running from Ed, she gets as close as possible. This move is called crowding and it prevents force from any blows because the attacker can't gain momentum, which means the blows are much less deadly. Susan ends up getting a hold of the hammer, but he manages to grab it back. He says to Susan, quote, you're strong. 
Susan falls to the ground and she can see the hammer as it's been swung up again and it's ready to fall. Like he's ready to hit her with it again. So she can see in the corner of her eye that hammer's going up and it's about to hit her in the head again. And she grabs Ed by the pant leg and pulls him to the ground with her. And during this struggle, she reaches into his pockets to pull out anything she can get, his wallet, his keys, and she wants to throw it under something. Because her thinking is, if he gets away and she dies, or she just wants there to be evidence of this man in her house so he can be caught. Susan is incredible for being able to think this clear during a violent attack. In an attempt to save her life, she starts biting Ed anywhere she can. She bites his arm, his flank, his thigh, and when he's turned over, she bit his genitals as hard as she could. This is when Susan realized she couldn't get the hammer away from Ed, and since she couldn't get the weapon, she decided she would become the weapon. Susan manages to get on top of Ed and puts him in a chokehold and squeezes. Now Ed is fighting for his life. When Susan has him in the chokehold, she says, quote, tell me who sent you and I will call you an ambulance, unquote. Yes, Susan. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, Susan. Uh, yes. Susan wanted her attacker to be as scared for his life as she was for hers. Ed tried to get out of the hold and Susan had no choice but to tighten her hold until he stopped moving. She grabbed the hammer and ran to the neighbor's home without knowing if her attacker would get up or not. This whole struggle lasted for 15 minutes 15 minutes that would have been absolutely exhausting two people fighting for their lives is just uses a lot of energy she grabs the hammer she runs over to the neighbors not knowing if he's dead or alive from there the neighbor called police and this is the most incredible 911 call i have ever read in any case that i have ever read or come across and i will read it to you now Quote, we have an intruder in the house next door. The intruder was in her bedroom with a hammer. The woman who lives there thinks she may have strangled him. He was down when she left. Operator, can you put her on the phone? Neighbor, she's bleeding. Operator, does she need an ambulance? Neighbor, no, she's a nurse. She says call an ambulance for the guy. He may be dead. <laughs> it's it's funny when the operator's like does she need an ambulance and the neighbor's like no but the guy does i just you don't you don't hear that very often in the cases and it's just one of the most amazing 911 calls i've ever read this also shows us that susan is an amazing person because even after this man attacked her she is still concerned for his life saying i don't need an ambulance but he does she's just she's she's yeah she's amazing 51-year-old Susan, she was beat up pretty bad. It's not like she made it out of this fight without any injuries. Her, She had been hit in the face and head with that hammer multiple times. But Ed Haffey, he came out much worse from this struggle. He was dead. Ed's autopsy reported he had near lethal amounts of cocaine in his system at the time of his death. This shows us how much he used because his tolerance was incredibly high. When Susan was brought into the ER, 
It was the same ER she had just left work from hours earlier. And when a concerned co-worker saw Susan being brought in by paramedics, she asked the paramedics, what's happened? And the paramedic said, quote, she beat his ass, unquote. <laughs> uh, her co-worker said she'll never never forget those words as heroic and amazing as susan's actions were she was extremely upset that she had to kill a man she dedicated her life to keeping people alive and this weighed heavily on her she was crying she was so upset she really didn't want to kill somebody but when it came down to it it was her or him and she did exactly what she needed to she was told her attacker was dead while she was laying in the ER by a police officer, and there was never any question that this wasn't in self-defense. Police now want to know who was this attacker and why was he there. Mike, he did a pretty shit job at covering his tracks, and although he he left that letter and he distanced himself by going to the beach to separate him himself from the crime it was quickly discovered he had hired ed to kill susan the night of the attack ed was supposed to call mike after he had killed susan but mike's going to be waiting a long time for that phone call obviously he he never received that call from ed because well ed was dead but what Mike does see is his house on the news. Mike calls Susan's friend and says, what's going on? I've been at the beach for three days. I've just seen my house on the news. Where's Sue? And Sue's friend, she tells him nothing. Police aren't telling him anything at this point because I'm, they, they probably think he has something to do with it, but it's just happened. So they're just not telling him anything. Susan said she realizes that it was a hitman that her husband had hired 24 hours after the incident when her and her friend had gone to the house to pack some stuff. After detectives were done in Susan's home clearing out the body and, and whatnot, collecting evidence, photographing the scene, whatever they were doing in there, Susan's friend, they, she goes in and to help Susan pack up some of Susan's belongings because Susan was, wasn't going to stay there after that horrific attack. And when her friend goes into the basement to get Susan's suitcase, she notices a backpack that she's never seen before. She knew immediately it didn't belong there. And it was in the room where mike's sporting collection was in in that room in the basement she turns that backpack into police and jackpot ed haffey left his bag down there while he was bagging up mike's sports collection as he was going to take it to make it look like a robbery in his bag police find a piece of paper or like a, a notebook like a, a date book detailing meetings with mike and Mike's phone number. Along with the notebook found in his bag, uh, with the information about meeting up with Mike and Mike's phone number, was also a bottle of Hershey chocolate syrup, $200 cash, diabetes pills, and the pay stub from the X-rated shop that he had worked at with Mike. 
Now police are looking for Mike and they find Mike seven days later at 10 a.m. on September 13th. Police find him attempting to check himself into a medical center, saying he had nothing to live for anymore. After 11 hours on involuntary psychiatric hold, he was arrested. Mike did leave a suicide note on September 8th at his father's home that read, quote, all I ever wanted was to be loved, and every time I fucked it up, unquote. But he didn't go through with the suicide. Mike is charged with attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Mike said that he didn't know Ed, but a quick check of employee records debunked his lie pretty fast. September 18th, Ed's former prison cellmate told police that Ed and Mike offered him $5,000 to help commit the murder, but he declined. Another witness says days before the murder, he drove Ed to meet with Mike. August 30th, 2007, Mike Kuhnhausen pled guilty to the charges, but later said he only did it for the lighter sentence. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Susan was terrified Mike would pay someone else to try to kill her. So in 2008, she sues Mike for $1 million and wins. She also got her divorce as well. So now they are divorced. Before a parole hearing, eight years into Mike's prison sentence, Susan was scared that he was going to be released. She feared for her life if he was released. And she devised a plan to go into hiding and in move states. And she even had a will made up in case he murdered her. Eight years into his 10-year sentence, just before his parole hearing, at the age of 65, Mike dies of cancer. Susan said in an interview, she's sad because he could have lived a better life had he worked on his issues. She's sad her marriage didn't work out, and she's sad he had to die in prison, although she does feel relief. Susan was interviewed a lot after surviving her attack and in an interview when asked about her thoughts and actions during the attack she said I needed to give up the struggle for the weapon and I needed to become the weapon. Wow what an amazing woman. I'm gonna link these interviews in my show notes and I encourage you to just go watch them. Susan developed a fan base and people were sending her encouraging cards and letters and Starbucks gift cards, which she said came in in really handy during the court hearings. And they were also sending her t-shirts and these t-shirts read, you don't scare me, I'm a nurse. So I think she had a very big fan base of nurses. She was a, she was a hero. She is a hero. Susan also received a letter from Ed Haffey's family that read, quote, His unlawful actions when he was grown deeply disturbed the family. There was no excuse for his illegal and deadly deed, and although this was a terrible thing that happened, no one in this family has any hard feelings towards you. You did what you were forced to do, and in doing so, you spared Benny from the same trauma you experienced. We wish you well, and may God bless you, unquote. I'm not sure who Benny is, but they were also spared from Ed. I'm not sure who, who that was. It never got brought up in any interview who Benny was, so I really don't know. I did look, couldn't find it. 
Susan, well, she's now dedicated to helping victims of crime. Susan teaches self-defense to multiple groups dedicated to women in Portland, such as Women's Strength and Girl Strength programs. I would love to be in your class, Susan. Susan has become an expert in victims' rights and assists people requiring guidance. There seems to be a lack of communication between victims and the perpetrator's parole information, and Susan believes victims need to know in advance about the possibility of parole because the survivor may need time to move out of state. Susan is also a motivational speaker, and I bet she is amazing at it. I watched so many interviews with Susan and even checked out her Facebook page that she made related to surviving the attack. And I just absolutely love this woman. She has such a calming and wholesome presence. And I'm so happy she fought so hard for her life because she is amazing. She spent her entire life helping people and she's still helping people. If ever an angel on earth, she is it. Okay, I think all women should learn how to choke hold a man if they get attacked because then men will think twice about attacking women. They'll say, oh, I don't want to die from a chokehold because that's what women do. I wish this was more common, I guess is what I'm saying. To Susan, if you're listening, I'm going to give you something I've never done before, a huge hell yes. And to Ed Haffey, obviously, hell no. And to Mike Kuhnhausen, hell no. If you're listening on Spotify please five star and follow me and don't forget to check out the hell no a true crime podcast instagram which i've actually gained like nine new followers so thank you to those people if you would like a shout out on the podcast just comment on a post and i will shout out your name thanks for listening and see you next week bye